0: can't go long. Hi folks, I'm Alan Walton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 28th, 2011. For newcomers, you should look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and help yourself to the audios which are there for free download. There's hundreds and hundreds to choose from. And it's a lot of it's mundane, mind you. There's a lot of plodding through. And I'm sure it's a lot of stuff a lot of listeners already know, but uh, it gives you good references to what's happening in the world as we chronicle our journey through this big new world order with the planned changes from all uh, the big rich people at the top uh, and uh, all the organizations which they run, basically. How agendas are set in stone, and it doesn't matter if science agrees or disagrees with them, they go ahead regardless. We've got to understand we're we're living through big, big agendas for this new world order, and uh, we get trivial answers or or ridiculous answers as to why it's all really happening. But nonetheless, we're going through it, so help yourself to the audios. And remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you, so you can help me by buying the books and discs at uh, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use a personal cheque, remember, or an international postal money order, or you can send cash, or you can use PayPal to order. Just use the donation button there and follow it with an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and, again, PayPal. Remember, straight donations are really, really welcome. This is not a business as such. If it was, I'd be selling all kinds of things and bring on guests to have you buy things that would save your life forever and ever. But I don't, so it's up to you to keep this alternative kind of system going And uh, if you really like what you're hearing. And we are going through a system, as I say, planned a long time ago, uh, chiseled in stone. There's nothing that's going to change it as far as politics goes. It's just not going to happen. Uh, all the bureaucracies across the planet who are there, regardless of political parties, are all behind this, they've all been trained for years, generation after generation towards this particular, uh, conglomerate, or conglomerate, conglomerate annexation, I guess you call it, of the entire planet as we go into a world order. And it's going to cause a lot of strife, already is. We're watching wars going across the world. We've been living through them for years now. And people people just munch away at their chips and forget about it. But these are ongoing wars to standardize the world into one system. And it's important, of course, that NATO and all the other organizations involved in this standardize one generation of children into the new system. And then it takes off on its own after that. And that's really what's happening. And lots of folk will suffer and are suffering as they go forward with this big, massive agenda. It's quite something. Uh, Uniformity has always been the goal, for instance, of totalitarianism. Everyone has to be uniform, and the system has to be uniform. And the whole of society at one time had to be... Now it's the whole of the world has to be uniform. Monotonous uniformity, that's what you're going into. With all the, the political correct themes and terms and memes put up there, that we're supposed to copy and emulate and, and parrot back in our conversations. And unfortunately, as I'm sure you're well aware, you're hearing it and maybe even doing it yourself, unfortunately. This is what you call the institutionalization of the terms in society. And RAND and other big organizations that have worked in bringing this big global system in have talked about it, the big special psychological organizations involved and the neuroscientists talk about it too. You must institutionalize the terms into society. So even if the newscaster is talking about something to do with rocket travel, he's going to somehow bring in the word sustainability, greening uh, and carbon and all the rest of it into his little talk. And that's how you get it institutionalized throughout society. Uh, there's not a political speech takes place on any topic without bringing all of this in. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Talking about the mayhem as we go through this new change, big planned change across the world, we've been indoctrinated for years towards it in fact, through movies, uh, through news, casts and television and through lots of other means of uh, media. We constantly get updated and prepared for what's to come in a sense, prepared always so that it isn't so striking and we don't kind of rebel about it when it happens. But uh, it reminds me of, the book uh, uh, The Shape of Things to Come by H.G. Wells, and the movie they made about it too, an old black and white movie uh, of things to come, where a small elite eventually rise and take over the whole planet, and they call themselves the Freemasonry of the air at one point. And they bombed the whole planet with uh, the peace bomb, peace gas it was called, to make everybody behave and to give up their arms and their nations. And then it jumps into the future where, it's, interestingly enough, it's the offspring of the same elite who ruled are still ruling, and uh, they're the highest scientific class, the better gene types. And um, they keep changing things so so quickly in society that the society down below, the big towers, start to rebel because they get so sick of the changes. One change after another, rapid changes, and they couldn't keep up. They couldn't get a stable society for one generation where things were much the same. It was just change, change, change. Well, that's pretty well how we're being trained right now. We're getting geared towards massive changes one after another. And the other thing is, once you start adopting into the the, the changes, it's much quicker and easier for for the leaders to do to you. And it's much easier for you to go through them too, because you're going to lose your sense in, in the big rush. As you 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 whisk through these changes, you lose your identity, you, you lose your 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 personality in a sense. You're depersonalized, and that hits a lot of people with depressions and things. So you really hold on to who you are as we go through, through all these changes, regardless of how crazy society seems to be, and regardless of how crazy even the talk of those around you seems to be. As they parrot the terms, the slogans. In fact, has been downloaded into them from the media and the news. And through all the other means of uh, entertainment, etc. Now, this ties in one, one article tonight because I'm thinking about police. In fact, police again, like all other arms of government today, uh, of holding the peace, create or, or basically maintaining the peace for their, their their overlords, and that's really what police are for—to protect a system. And they're given all the goodies and toys. The, the military have got two. They've been using in the Middle East for quite some years now, facial profiling and iris scanning of, of citizenry. And now it comes home. It always comes home eventually, because, partly because we're kind of used to watching it being done to people in other countries in the Middle East. We're getting used to the idea of it, so it's no big deal when it hits us. But you give them a new toy and they go crazy at first, of course. It's like breathalyzers. I remember when when breathalyzers first came out, and it was like like Christmas for the police, and they they were just stopping everybody and asking you to blow these things. It it doesn't matter who you were, and uh, it's a new toy for them, and eventually it faded off a bit because they got fed up with it themselves. But here's an article now. It says, device raises a fear of facial profiling. Dozens of law enforcement agencies from Massachusetts to Arizona are preparing to outfit their forces with controversial handheld facial recognition devices As soon as September, raising significant questions about privacy and civil liberties. Well, who's asking the questions? It says, with a device which attaches to an iPhone, an officer can snap a picture or a face from up to five feet away. And I bet you anything, the next model that comes out, they'll have to buy two, of course, Um, will be much further than that. Or scan a person's irises from up to six inches away and do an immediate search to see if there is a match with a database of people with criminal records. The gadget also collects fingerprints. I mean, it's just, you know, it won't matter. Eventually we'll all have to be in the big database, big global database, with everything on it, iris scans, fingerprints, uh, DNA, the whole lot on a a, a centralized computer for the planet. And I, I know that's coming for sure. And they, they do that in Europe, too, by the way. Any gadget they get there is into a, a single European database for the whole of Europe. Now, we like to think that uh, genetics is... Well, we did for a while think that genetics had died away after World War II with eugenics, the whole idea of eugenics and, um, and discrimination to people who are different in any way whatsoever or don't simply don't measure up to the right six feet two or whatever it happens to be at the time. But uh, they're bringing a lot of it back now too. Uh, and there's no really shame about it either by the ones who are bringing all these things in. Colour-coded children. School puts bright children in different uniforms than the rest of them in the school, right? This is a secondary school is streaming pupils based on ability and attempt to attract those from well-off families. From the age of 11, all pupils are segregated, taught in separate color-coordinated buildings, play in fenced-off areas, and eat lunch at separate times. Well, there's, there's a built-in class distinction right there. Pupils are ranked as they leave primary school and place into one of three mini-schools at Crownwoods College, Greenwich, it says. And this is the gifted and talented go to Delamar and wear purple ties and purple badges. The rest go to Ashwood, which wears blue, or Sherwood, which wears red. I guess that's the junk genes at the bottom. It says that these two schools are more mixed uh, ability but are still streamed into three tiers. Craig's Jesse warned that movies are demoralising for pupils and would merely increase competition and animosity between them rather than raise the standards. But then again, they get the, the, the head teacher on about it who says it's a great thing to bring in more money to the school from the well of parents. Uh, and mind you, his salary, Mr. Murphy who runs a school, is the highest paid head teacher in England, it says he earns £171,483 per annum isn't that nice so it's astonishing from the days of Charles Darwin to the present, uh, it it tried to legitimise class distinction by genetics and uh, your ability to compete at school and lots of children actually don't really grow or flower until they leave school when the pressure's off them then their mind can go to work on what they want but uh, that's not taken into account here, But so as I say you've got, you've got built in discrimination right off the bat, I can remember at school too uh, at the age of five uh, you put in a, 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 in a bunch of their children and then when you were six uh, then you were all segregated into class A and class B and C and D so eugenics has been going on all along, really um, mandated by again Charles Galton, who came up with that whole system, and is doing pretty well. So here they're back at it again, and with the the people who have jumped on to the bandwagon, as as expected after this Norwegian massacre, uh, is it's astonishing. I mean, you had David Cameron, the Prime Minister of Britain, who. Uh, was involved up to his neck um, with uh, Murdoch, who owns such that he's a big magnet for all big massive media. He's got all stacks of TV stations across Europe and the States and everywhere else, and newspapers too. In other words, we get our media and our news from through Murdoch um, Inc. Basically, under many many different names they have, of course. But uh, Cameron and others and Blair and, and Brown and the previous Prime Ministers all had this very cosy relationship with Murdoch, who really is just a piece of your intelligence service, a foreign intelligence service, to make sure you get the right spin on all media. But they've all taken, uh, gone on so many rides on private jets and wined and dined and had private meetings every, every week with this character, who up until the Norwegian massacre was up their the eyes again in this, this collusion. And suddenly they're off the hook again because this has taken over all of the news. And there's David Cameron uh, standing up in the podium now saying, British security must be reviewed after a Norwegian massacre, acting the strongman that you always expect to come along to save you all when something terrible happens. So making the most of it, knowing he's off the hook, and then the media probably won't go back and look at all the stuff that he's been up to, who's been backing him who's been maybe even financing him because, as I say, Murdoch literally wasn't just uh, wiretapping little hapless victims of 7-7 or 9-11 and the relatives to hear all their phone conversations. This guy had been going at it for years and years and he had the taps and the dope on all the top politicians. And if you want to blackmail anybody, that's why you do it. And that's what you do. Anyway, Cameron's up there touting up, make the most of what happened to so that horrible thing in Norway. And another article I want to mention tonight too is that Arizona now has made a precedent, I guess, suppose, I suppose, to do with firearms. It says residents of the Arizona town that has become a YouTube sensation after police forcibly removed a woman speaking at a recent public meeting are now experiencing firearms confiscation by the government. The stunning action is taking place at Quartzsite, Arizona, where town councilman Joe Winslow has prompted the seizure of guns from local gem dealer and online entrepreneur Michael Roth because Roth allegedly glared—glared, glared, you know what a glare is when you glare at someone—he glared at a councilman, blocked his entrance to town hall, and called him a turd. So calling someone a name now uh, can get uh, all the firearms confiscated. Carn slaughter. Delighted Justice of the Peace, I can't I can't believe the names in this article. Uh, delighted Justice of the Peace for the region, <laughs> that would make you behave, wouldn't it? <laughs> Someone called Slaughter as a Justice of the Peace. Issued a harassment injunction against Roth on behalf of Winslow, the lawmaker who called for the silencing of Pet Groomer and publisher Jennifer Jones in the infamous video. And I'll put that up tonight with the video. And you can look through that for yourselves to see how that drama is going. The standoff at the Arizona Canal. Anyway, what I want to talk about tonight too is going back to what I said at the very beginning of this program or this broadcast really should be called not a program. It's not programming anybody. I hope it's to do with how they institutionalize terms into society. And you have to understand it comes from the top think tanks who work on uh, neurolinguistics. I call them psycholinguistics. I prefer that term. But they actually call themselves neurolinguists. And they use terms and slogans. Just like Lenin said, we shall win by slogans. Those who are in control for world uh, democracy, to call it, use it too. Back with more after this break. We're back, and this is cutting through the matrix. And I'm trying to talk about truly really how words and terms are institutionalised throughout society. And it comes from the top, of course. It doesn't start at the, the, the grassroots level. To do with world government, for instance. And this article here is from the public service of Europe. This, this amalgamation of Europe has its own massive bureaucracy. Massive bureaucracy. And, uh, and they set the trends. Again, trends are awfully important. The trends. Uh, that gets spread from the high, those on high, to those down below. And here's one of the head ones talking about their aspirations, as they like to call it. In other words, what, how they want you to behave down in the future. And she's, saying, she's giving a, to a speech to her own people, all the, the masses of bureaucrats. This is almost like a, a 1984 version where they're talking to all the, the bureaucrats at work, the ones who have to be on board with the agenda, whereas the, the proles didn't matter about the proles, really. They were watching trivia. It says, democracy must be seen, must be seen. Think about it. Democracy must be seen, right, as a global aspiration, rather than just a project for Europe or the U.S., because that's really what it is, isn't it? It's a project for Europe and the U.S. It's, but but we see it uh, that way. It says, it must be seen as a global aspiration. And that's what they call uh, giving vision. They have men and women with vision, as they call it. The ones who come up with the ideas. So it must be seen as a global aspiration. You're all just dying to be united. That's what she's saying out there. And it says, uh, Catherine Ashton has claimed in a muscular keynote speech in Lithuania, speaking at the annual ministerial conference of the Community of Democracies in Vilnius and European Union High Representative for Foreign Affairs claimed, but what a title. I mean, really, what a title, eh? The European Union, high representative for foreign affairs, claimed that Europe was now a community of democracies. Again, back to this communitarianism stuff, and even Walmart's part of your community now, and uh, the ones who flip burgers, too. That says, that was still learning how to share its most positive elements between member states and beyond. This is a super-Soviet, I hope you understand. This this has got more countries in it than the Soviet ever hoped to get into it, but they're calling it democracy. She says, no democracy anywhere in the globe is perfect and none is complete. She said, uh, appearing to rise to the criticism that she's faced for not being more vocal in her role on the world stage. Every national democracy is a journey, really. It is something that continues to evolve. In the EU, we recognize that the journey is best if it is shared. What what, what option do we have? eh? Democracy is the founding value of this union It is hardwired into everything that we do It's some union Because all the laws are made by A secretive group at the top Who are unelected It's anything but democratic This is pointing to the process of the EU enlargement And this is in capital letters, so that's like a a big project, the EU enlargement. Ashton acknowledged the ten former dictatorships which had joined the European club in 2004 and 2007. Looking to the future, she said, And what we believe for ourselves within our union, uh, we go and promote beyond our borders. Don't they ever with bombs and everything? Just like they're doing in Libya right now. What we believe for ourselves within our union, we go and promote beyond our borders. The Treaty of Lisbon is very clear, and I quote, The Union's actions on the international scene shall be guided by the principles which have inspired its own creation, that was secrecy and lying to the public, (laughs) and which it seeks to advance in the wider world, democracy, the rule of law. But whose law are they talking about? The rule of law, you better ask that question. The universality and indivisibility of human rights and fundamental freedoms and respect for human dignity. These are from the countries who were the first to go for euthanasia. Admitting that there was no established model for democracy, and that's why the love democracy is an elastic band that could be imposed upon unwilling nations, Ashton added, It was always adapt locally. See, these are Think local, act global, or vice versa It will always adapt locally at its own pace and its own style Meaning they put their own people in Above everything, democracy must be wanted and owned locally We believe that it is very hard to have democracy without development Or development without democracy The evidence for that is very clear The two are intertwined and mutually reinforcing Democracy brings economic benefit, but to whom? It attracts investment, it creates jobs. What an awful thing to say. And and, and Europe is technically bankrupt. And every country that used to be independent, who would never be in the money hole, is throwing cash into the black hole of the European Union to keep other countries afloat. It must be, it must be great to live in these ivory towers and, and see a different thing looking down on top of the clouds rather than looking up and seeing the, the bottom of the clouds like most folk, isn't it? it must change your whole perception on things. And economic certainty is the condition for people to engage in and support democracy, as I've told you all to be a steer. So anyway, is clarifying her own definition for empowering citizens, her own definition you have to really understand the words and how they put it her own definition for empowering citizens the high representative continued, democracy is much more than voting governments in and out what I so often call deep democracy brings the dividend and the safe knowledge that those elections, those opportunities to vote governments in and out are part of a wider and established system of true democratic institutions it truly is out out of 1984 from, from Orwell's 80 before, it's like a speech is given to the working bureaucrats who manage the proles down beneath them. That that really is what this article is, and I'll put this up at cuttingthroughtheMatrix.com at the end of the night if you can if you can work your way through it. But that's a kind of rah-rah speech for how great we're doing as, as bureaucrats, basically running all the plebs. And after this, I go into. A book has come out from a former um, French uh, ambassador who says that Israel controls the French intelligence. Back with more after this.
1: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
0: Hi folks, we're back and this is cutting through the Matrix. And uh, an article here, says former French uh, foreign minister says that Israel controls the French intelligence and that the lobby pressures the US president as well. But it's former French foreign minister, Roland Dumas, referred in a book he published called Assaults and Injuries, that the Israelis are doing whatever they want in France and are controlling the French intelligence with whatever serves them. And... He goes on and on about uh, different parts of the book and so on and so on. People he's met in the different governments from Israel and, and other parts of the world as well. And uh, it's quite an interesting article because I'm just, lobbying does go on across the whole planet. Every country does it. And th- the world is so thick now with intelligence agencies and, and even um, c- compartments within different agencies where the top ones are really so far beyond the lower ones, the lower ones don't even know what's going on. Uh, that The world truly is intriguing, intriguing is the term, because you never know who you're dealing with. But uh, there's no doubt about it that everybody's got their, their finger in the pie for the big world uh, and for what comes out of the big world's plunder, basically, and for their own uh, national interests. And with the EU, of course, it's even more complicated now that you've got uh, this amalgamation of countries And you've got countries with their own intelligence services um, and then compartments above them working with the European Union into a super intelligence service that that, that you never know who you're talking to. You'll never, ever know. And that's just the way it is. So anyway, an interesting book. I might try and get a hold of it myself and see what else it says. I'll probably put that link up tonight for those who might want to, to have a look at it. And also here, getting back to Murdoch again, who basically runs an intelligence service. It's called Reality Creation for the West. But uh, the guy who's been taking prime ministers for generations across um, different oceans on his private jet and whining and dining them and funding them into power too uh, and giving all of you, as I say, oil of you, your reality as well. Um, it says here, Fox uh, briefed Murdoch executives on defense. Defence Secretary Liam Fox uh, has given three private defence briefings to News Corporation boss Rupert Murdoch, his son James and former News International Chief Executive Rebecca Brooks since coming to power. Number 10 has revealed, uh, the details revealed in, revealed in light of the phone's hacking scandal show that Fox first briefed Rebecca Brooks and James Murdoch first in August of 2010. He then hosted Rebecca Brooks, Rupert Murdoch and Sunday Times editor John Witherow in March this year and again briefed James Murdoch and Rebecca Brooks in June. The Defence Secretary also attended the News International Summer Party in June 2010. While the list shows that Fox frequently hosted briefings for newspaper editors, the rationale behind the decision to brief News Corporation and News International executives is less clear. So really, you're not supposed to have this interaction, this too-cozy interaction, between uh, your own Defence Department execs and, again, the newspaper boys, especially the barons of, of major media. Uh, it's quite interesting a spokesman for Fox told in Independent newspaper the briefings were because of News International's interest in defence matters and I've also got a link to all the different members I didn't even know uh, that lobby groups were lobbying generals and, and high members of the military, the air force and the navy, I've got a list of that I'll put up as well, uh, I knew they all lobbied politicians but uh, we truly live in the dark ages at the very bottom of the heap here we don't know what goes on, and, and these guys have all got brilliant hands in making the policies that affect all of us, and they call this democracy. Well, it's, it's such a joke, such a joke. This article here, too, is Green Agenda has parallels with excesses of communism. This is from the Herald Sun, and a serendipitous uh, coincidence of timing. In the space of two hours this week, Australians were afforded a sharp, momentary insight into the two opposing ideological mindsets that are competing for the soul of our nation. In a Sydney hotel Monday night, Czech President uh, Vaclav Klaus, an economist who fought against communism, was warning of the new threats to our freedom he recognizes in the the doctrine of global warming. Almost simultaneously in a Hobart casino, Greens Senator Christine Milne was unilaterally announcing on ABC TV's Q&A show that the government would be conducting an inquiry into the section of the Australian media that she finds extremely biased against action on climate change. Milne's every liberal pronouncement was greeted with applause by an audience that seemed full of tree-huggers, bearded public servants and other recipients of government largesse about the only growth industry left in Tasmania. Klaus, on the other hand, I was speaking to an audience of economic liberals and climate change realists, invited by the Institute of Public Affairs, the Melbourne based free market think tank. Now, remember, Australia is really the spearheading, being chosen to spearhead the carbon taxes, and it's rolling ahead. We've to copy them. 20 years ago, we were still threatened by the remnants of communism. Uh, This is really over, Klaus said. I feel threatened now, not by global warming. I don't see any, but by the global warming doctrine. And that's the key to it all. Everything runs on doctrine from the top. It's a doctrine. Just like the the communist doctrine. It says, which I consider a new dangerous attempt to control and mastermind my life and our lives in the name of controlling the climate or temperature. And he's right on with it. Klaus 70 has twice been elected as Czech president and as its former prime minister is one of the most important figures in post-communist Europe. His experiences under the totalitarian rule have made him exquisitely alert to the erosion of democratic freedoms. He said environmentalists have been arguing for decades that we should reduce our consumption of fossil fuels using various farcical ploys from the exhaustion of natural resources to the threat of imminent mass poverty and starvation for billions. Those same environmentalists shamelessly talk now about dangerous global warming. They don't care about resources or poverty or pollution. They hate us, the humans. That's what he says. Interesting statement, eh? They hate us, the humans. They consider us dangerous and sinful creatures who must be controlled by them. And that's how all totalitarians see the rest of humanity. They truly believe. And they do hate them. The ones who seek power hate those below them who have no power. That's That's standard. He says, I used to live in a similar world called communism, and I know it led to the worst environmental damage the world has ever experienced. Global warming alarmists want to change us. They want to change our behavior, and that's true, behavior modification, our way of life, our values and preferences. They want to restrict our freedom because they themselves believe they know what is good for us. They're not interested in climate. They misuse the climate and their goal to restrict the freedom. Therefore, what is in danger is freedom, not the climate. Well, that, that's really encapsulates it all because it's all about freedom and not having it. You can't have freedom and save the climate, you see, in the planet at the same time. That's what they're trying to tell you. That's why you have so, you gotta have so many laws now and experts to tell you what to do, what to eat, how much to eat and what not to do in your garden. In fact, don't have a garden, leave it to the big multinational corporations. He says he described the parallels he sees between the loss of freedom under communism and the new global warming doctrine. Under communism, politics dictated its economics and dictated life. Our main ambition during the dark communist days was to change that and create an autonomous society, an autonomous economic system with only a marginal role played by politics. I'm sorry to discover now politics dictates the economics again. So politics is true, is, is dictating again all the economic systems. And the global warming debate is the same story in which politicians dictate the issue. He said, because of the experience of communism, maybe I'm oversensitive. I'm afraid that some of the people who spend their lives in a free society don't appreciate sufficiently all the issues connected with freedom. So my oversensitivity is like an alarm clock warming, a warning about the potential development, which I am really afraid of. So I'll put this link up, too, because they're really rolling ahead. And I've noticed they're just passing a law there, too, to do not just with carbon taxes, but congestion taxes to try to stop folk driving. Remember, too, in Agenda 21, when it's got listed there, there'll be uh, only essential vehicles only will be allowed in the future. That's police, fire, uh, politicians, limos, just like the Soviet system, and that kind of thing, but no private uh, transportation. So they're really going ahead with it in Australia, and we should watch it like a hawk, because it's to be spread across the whole of the world, the same system. And, of course, they're already uh, being hit with their carbon taxes. Getting back to... This strange link between organizations and the Ministry of Defense. Uh, as I said, that article I'll put up to the other link to the Ministry of Gifts, Hospitality, Travel, and Meetings with External Organizations in the Ministry of Defense. That's what it's called. And it's got a whole bunch of PDFs on it and um, and all the different organizations involved. And the cabinet ministers, meaning the politicians as well, meeting with organizations and all the big fine whining and dining they've all had as they all do their in-dealing uh, up at the top there where they decide what democracy is. Tonight, too, I want to put up a link to do with NATO because now uh, it, it seems like only yesterday, but it's not, of course. Over the years, you, you read so many articles on the air uh, that you lose track of time. But uh, I was reading articles where major media of the West was really saying that Libya was the, the best country of the whole of North Africa. Um, it had no debt, basically. It had a surplus, in fact, of gold reserve as well. And uh, how, how it's, its people lived, too, had the highest standard of living in, in North Africa at the time. Um, no one was unemployed. Uh, all students got free university training. And once you went to university, you got a free apartment, no no rent and that kind of thing, and medical aids. And they had this big, massive water project on the go because of the underground artesian system that they have and how they literally made the desert bloom. And thinking about that, reading this article today... Uh, that I'm about to read uh, to me back to what happened with with, uh, Iraq once they'd bombed all of the infrastructure. That was food, all water supplies, all pumps. Everything uh, that you you, you need for survival was demolished uh, on purpose, all targeted. That's how you take countries out these days. You go for the, the central infrastructure. Everything that folk need to live on is destroyed and then the big corporations move in, and your tax money rebuilds it, and then they hand it over to private corporations that are awfully familiar with their names too. A NATO terrorist attack was hit. It has hit a water pipes factory in Al-Briga, murdering six guards, uh, this being the factory which makes pipes for the great man-made irrigation system across the desert, which brings water to 70% of Libyan homes, according to sources in Libya. The factory was hit after the water supply network was destroyed on Friday. Isn't that awful? You know, it says, um, it says NATO has committed another war crime targeting a civilian water supply network, which brings water to 70% of their population, according to Pravda. Uh, resources in Libya. The general manager of the Manmade River Corporation which controls the pipeline reports it was hit in a NATO strike on Friday in another clear violation of the law. A consignment from Italy of 19,000 AK-47s was caught in Agerbaya by the Libyan authorities according to Libyan military sources. So the big arms dealers uh, are getting paid uh, no doubt by the West to get more arms into the ones who want to take over. So the international community has two choices to turn a blind eye like cowards that are allowed to murder Libyan children. They don't care. I have to tell people this. I really think the West, and I've lived long enough to watch it, we really don't care who's being murdered across the planet as long as it isn't us. That's right. Maybe we're just desensitized to it all by now with television. I know that was part of the problem even in Vietnam where it was so common uh, to see on, on a television in America... Uh, on the news, night after night, so people getting bombed. Eventually, people had their their dinner watching TV and watching this because they were desensitized to it. But I really don't think. I think in this system we're not in today is 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 so humanistic or atheistic uh, that uh, we don't really care. We are desensit we're dehumanized actually, and that's what's happened to most of us. But I'll put this link up up tonight anyway, and also a link to. A video where you actually see what remains of, of, this fantastic water project. And believe you me, everybody, I mean everybody wants to get their hands on this water supply that goes all the way to Egypt. And, uh, that's going I've got another article here. It says oil, uh, water is more precious than, than oil. And that's where to invest. So they're already getting on board as they, and I'm sure they've already picked out the, the company that will own it. You understand, before the Iraq war, and it came out years afterwards, and I've read them on the air, all the big boys, all the big corporations, Shell, BP, all the usual suspects, uh, were in seeing the Prime Minister asking, well, if you're going to go into Iraq, we'd like this oil uh, field here and that oil field there. And they literally did all their wheeling and dealing before they even went in to attack Iraq. The same thing is happening here and under this for the the people at the bottom the proles you've got all this stuff about bringing democracy to Iraq utter hypocrisy Uh, utter hypocrisy it is just astonishing when you're small you look up to adults because you think they're mature and they're wise at least you hope they are but the older you get until you become one yourself you realize that they're they're no wiser than you were when you were small, and to be honest with you too the more the more lying and cheating and and, and so on uh, than the children do the children maybe can 't help it. The children live in different worlds they live in partly a, a hypnosis part of the day with their daydreaming and, and fantasy, and then back into reality. what excuse do the adults have except pure greed you know pure utter greed and, and, and private profit for all of this? It's disgusting. Disgusting. Yeah. Maybe what you should do with the military industrial complex is invent machines that all politicians have to go through the tests to see if they're number one psychopathic and that would mind you would have no governments left, I'm afraid. I really do believe that. That's the only type who generally go into politics. And maybe you'd have to, you should have a rotation, a rotating system where everybody would have to do, do so much time in politics, just like you do in jury Duty. And no permanent body there at all, who could form a clique and then start to rule over you. That's the only, t- only way you're going to get any truth coming out fr- from from government to the people. If you want government at all, that is. The government's job has always been to say, well, you need us to protect, to protect you from those guys over there. Well, in a global society, you see, they have to find terror within. That's what Stalin knew too. And so it's, you're looking towards a, a lifelong, maybe a few generations of terror within, just like the movie Brazil. It was a comedy movie, but it was made by guys who were down there. They were made by guys who had been to Oxford and all. They knew what they were doing. And as we go through austerity, the National Health Service delays operations as it waits for patients to die or go private. This is the same system, and I've mentioned it before, and i put the RAND Corporation's Um, Article up there, the study into the American system that they're bringing in uh, is copied on the British system well this is from the British system the National Health Service delays operations as it waits for patients to die or go private, this is from the mainstream media this is the Telegraph it says they're they're waiting longer it says health services trusts are imposing pain and inconvenience by making patients wait longer than, than necessary in some cases as long as four months a study found it is believe that delays mean some people will remove themselves from the lists, either by dying or by paying for their own treatments. There's the blackmail coming in as they try to go back to the private system. So it says the cooperation and competition panel says the tactic is one of a number used by managers, hospital managers, that excessively constrain patients' rights to choose where to be operated upon and damage hospitals' ability to complete uh, planned surgery. Claims unfair practices are endemic in some areas of England and pose a serious risk to government's drive to open the health services to competition. It's always a play again for business, isn't it? Hi, folks. We're back, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. And I'll, I'll try and hit Werner, uh, who's being hanging on here. Is Werner on the yeah. line? Yes. Uh, it's
1: funny I got a chance to get on you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, uh, you, uh, you mentioned there earlier about the about the glo- uh, globalization
0: yeah.
1: and the environmental issues. Yes. Globalization and centralization is more wasteful uh, at the resources than decentralization. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, uh, Look, uh, we are biological beings. We have to fit into the biological system of the planet. Mm -hmm. You know, and when people are being spread out, you know, Mm -hmm. then uh, everything gets recycled, you know. And uh, this is, uh, you know, as I say, most of those environmental organizations, they're basically wolves in sheep's clothing.
0: I, I know that a lot of them have come out for, uh, beforehand. This has been going for years. I've done top uh, shows before where uh, they've gone after the spotted owl or some frog or something that's supposed to be, they actually put them on the land, photograph them, then send them off to the government. And then in come the government guys and they literally stop farmers from even farming on the land. Oh, this is a danger. This is an endangered species. they have done this. I've even got articles, uh, videos where the leaders of some of the green movements are teaching classes on how to do this to all their d- devotees, how to go out and uh, and uh, plant these particular animals on someone's land, to get the land from them. Uh, this this is taught like a, a regular school or university course. Yeah. yeah.
1: See, Alan, I've been a farmer my whole life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I figured and, uh, over the years, uh, some of us we have been hang- hanging on under great sacrifices, yeah. you know, hanging on to the land, looking after the land. Mm-hmm. But I figured, uh, you know, sooner or later, some smart asses, they will figure out some kind of a way uh, to, well, basically the same way as what the communists did.
0: Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's right on. Absolutely, it's the same mine, thing. Yeah.
1: But uh, what's mine is not yours. hmm You know?
0: It's the same but, thing.
1: Uh, anyway, uh, you mentioned there about Libya and Iraq. But what? I don't understand, you know. Why, don't, why isn't there an outcry among the people, you know, about the international court in the Yeah. Those yeah. are basically war crimes.
0: They are war crimes, yeah. You know? You've, you've got murdering of civilians, murdering of civilians, uh, the broken every treaty they've signed with Libya because it's still allowed under the United Nations and the various conventions that it is a country, it's a recognized country under this particular type of leadership. And, and, uh, and they're slaughtering people over there. Uh, they want to plunder they, The outsiders want to plunder the resources. There's no doubt about it, just like Iraq, too. Uh,
1: I was wondering, uh, you know, this, uh, you mentioned uh, the air fire there under that uh, part of uh, North Africa. Yes. Uh, could it be that uh, some of the southern European nations, like maybe Italy or France or, or Spain, some multinational water companies, that they might have had an eye onto the water resources?
0: They've, they've already discussed that. They've, already, they've been, there's been articles in the paper before, long before this even started, uh, watching this massive project with, with water in that area. Uh, that literally supplied two or three countries. Uh, and the, the articles are here too, how, as I say, water is going to be more expensive than oil. It's the best thing to invest in. Uh, and they're, they're salivating over who gets the rights to take this over. And I'm sure it's all been decided. Uh, so outside forces, no doubt, they've taken over Britain's water water supply, other countries' water supply, there will be one one institution eventually that owns the whole water supply of the world, and and that's where they're going.
1: So basically they come in as wolves and keep closing.
0: Yes, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. But thanks for calling. And uh, even one of the secretaries for Canada, who's out of office now, McClelland, she said the same thing. It doesn't matter if global warming's all a scam, they can use this to redistribute the wealth across the world, basically. So... It's a communist idea. The communists love multi trillionaires and like to beat them too. From here to myself went to Canada, that's good night me god your God's school with you.